Well, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 20, and we'll look at verse 20, 36 through 38, and that will be our message today. But before we do that, let's do what we do every week. Let's remind each other of the gospel by quoting John 3.16, then join with Christians all over in praying the Lord's Prayer. Let's do that now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Acts 26, verse 36. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most over all, most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Basically, what I'm going to do this morning, I've got three mini-sermons for you. Hopefully, one of them will help you. So let me start with the first one, and that is that I think from this passage, we can learn a lesson on the legitimate expression of emotions that we Christians have. God made us to be emotional. If you look at what we've put there, there there's tears mentioned. And by the way, this is the third time in chapter 20 that Paul talked about tears. He Twice he said, I served you with tears. They had seen him cry. And now they're crying together. Uh, Tim Keller, who was a longtime pastor in New York City, New York can harden a person. He said, I can tell a man's been born again in New York City that he begins to cry again. And so there's emotions that flow here, tears. They embrace each other, kiss each other. And then finally, in one last devastating moment, just to say we'll accept God's will, they kneel together there and pray together. It's an emotional scene. But can I remind you that God made us to be emotional and our Lord Jesus modeled the fact that we can be emotional. Uh, look, look at the gospels. You'll find Jesus angry when he's in the temple, turning over the tables. That was scary. You'll find that he was joyful. He said, I, I, want, to, I want my joy to be in you. And I get, get a clue about where his joy was. He said in Luke 15, there's joy in heaven when a sinner repents. I bet if we could have seen his face at the dinner with Levi and all the sinners there, and they were coming back to God. I bet he glowed at that dinner. He had compassion. When he saw that man completely full of leprosy, he said he had compassion and touched him and healed him. He knew what it was to go through sorrow. He wept at Lazarus' tomb. He knew what it was to go through depression in the Garden of Gethsemane. So our Lord is an example of the fact that God made us to be emotional, that emotions are legitimate. I want to share with you a diagram that just really helped change my life. I owe so much to Campus Crusade, and this is the train diagram is how I've come to know it. It's the old Wild West type train. You know, we have the coal car that you shovel into the engine, and then it takes off with the smoke you know, coming out of the top. Uh, the fact, that's the Bible facts. That's what we stand on, the truth of God. The coal car is our faith. And the way you get this thing going is you shovel your coal into the fact. You put your faith in the fact. And the caboose is the feeling. Now, you're not going to go very far if you shovel coal into the caboose. 
You need to put your coal into the engine. You need to put your faith in the facts, not in your feelings. Because so many Christians allow their emotions to rule their lives. For instance, I've met people who say, you know, I just don't feel saved right now. Well, can I tell you something? If you put your faith in Jesus, whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the fact. You're you're saved if you put your faith in him, whether or not you feel it or not, because you don't base it on your feelings. You base it on what God's word says. Uh, There's some who allow their emotions to dictate to their wills. You know, I just don't feel like praying, so I'm not going to pray today. I remember one time, When I grew up, we had a small house. I shared a room with my brother. So the only place for me to have a, quote, quiet time with God, my dad had by hand built a trailer. And so it was out in our driveway, and that became my place to have my quiet time. And I'll never forget one afternoon, I went out there, shut the door, had my Bible, and said, God, I'm just going to be honest. I don't want to be here. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to read this Bible. But I'm not leaving until I'm on fire. And even though I made myself go in, I walked out on fire. So what we tend to do is we let our emotions dictate to our wills rather than our wills dictate to our emotions. Have you ever woke up on Sunday morning and not wanted to go to church? I looked at Karen one time and said, do I have to go? And she said, you're the preacher. (laughs) I had somebody woke up today and tell me today and said, I woke up this morning, didn't want to come, made myself. But have you noticed that once you come, you're glad you came? You know, it's, it's just, we need to let our wills dictate to our emotions, not our emotions dictate to our wills. And I think one of the things that is a sad thing is there are a lot of Christians who allow their faith to be based on their emotions. And I, I know that my charismatic friends love Jesus. I, I don't want to say anything negative there. But I've noticed that a lot of people in the charismatic movement, their worship services are so structured that they can get a big emotional high every week because it's almost like they're addicted to that high. And they've got to go up to that level each week. And if they don't get that high, then they're not going to make it. And so they become dependent upon that high. We can't do that. We've got to walk by faith and not by emotions. I've even seen this as a pastor with people who are having marriage troubles. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, it's over with us. I no longer feel the love for my husband or my wife. Well, can I tell you how this works, the way God made us? God made us, if we'll, by will, obey what he says, love your wife the way that Christ loves the church, for instance, then your emotions, like the caboose, can catch up. Many of our folks went this week to hear Erwin Lutzer at the Cove. I heard Erwin tell a story in the 1980s. He said there was a woman in the Chicago area, and she and her husband had been had a, having rocky times. They had a knockdown drag out. And she decided to go see a lawyer she knew in the church. And she, she walked in and said, that's it. I'm done. I want to get him, and I want to get him good. And this was a Christian lawyer, and he knew the emotions that she was in. So very wisely, he said to her, he said, Now, did you tell your husband you were going to see a lawyer? Yep. Well, you know what he's doing? He's going to see a lawyer. And they're getting their guns ready, and I'm getting my guns ready. You know what? When it's all the dust settles, nobody's going to win but the lawyers. This is what I want you to do. You go back and tell him you cooled off, and for the next three months, be the best wife any man's ever had. And then when he's not wary, you come and see me. And then we can get him. Three months later, he got a postcard from Hawaii (laughs) because as she went and did the actions of love, her heart caught up 
because God made it to where we ought to walk by faith. And if you put your coal in the engine, the caboose will follow. So we need to do that. Now, let me say this about emotions. Some of our expressions of emotions as Christians will be different from others because God made us with different personality types. I love Justin. I'm glad you're getting this to get to know Justin personally as he's been preaching to us. He told me this morning, he says, I've never been so fired up about us. I wish I was over there listening to him right now because I know he's doing, the, doing better with this sermon than I'm doing. But uh, Justin is, he's, he's the most outgoing, emotional guy I've known. I, I, I try when I preach the modern, I come back over here so I can just kind of get the results. You know, but how do you do? Did great. I had somebody come to me last week says, you got to help him become more outgoing. <laughs> he's never met a stranger. If he's feeling it, it's coming out. I love him. His brother Taylor is on our staff and he leads the modern worship. They're two brothers with the same mother and that's all they have in common. Taylor is so quiet. He'd rather be in the corner and not be mingling. He's very thoughtful. He's, uh, uh, but now if you get to know him, he, he's funny. But here you've got two brothers from the same mother. And their personalities are so distinctly different. God, we are emotional, but God made us to be different. Let me tell you my background. I, I was thinking through that even this morning. I believe the imprint of my father was so strong on me that it kept me from expressing emotions for years. My, my dad was completely sold out as a Christian, a good dad. But I cannot right now remember any time I heard my dad laugh. In our whole home life, it was all business. It was all work. The, the gift he gave to me was the gift of being a workaholic because he just drove me so. Um, we had no affection that was expressed. I remember my dad kissing all of us once. We, we, he'd been on a trip. We were lying at the door, including my mom, down the aisle. That's the only time I ever saw him kiss my mom. He just wasn't expressive. And so I had that imprint on me. When I went off to college and you get involved in the campus ministry, there are times when you have wonderful times in a service and everybody wants to come up and do the hugging afterwards. I, had, I wanted none of that because I was on fire committed Christian. I'm not giving into that emotional sloppiness. And so they'd come up to hug me and I would literally stand at attention and would not hug back. And they said, hugging Scoggins is like hugging a tree. So my nickname at Valdosta State was the tree. Because I just wasn't going to give in to that. But let me tell you something I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for Mary and Karen. Because she has helped me be around somebody who enjoyed life. Be around somebody who could express affection. I'm not near what I ought to be. But my soul, you should have seen what she married. <laughs> and have been able to come a little ways at least. So God made us to be emotional. So don't hold back on legitimate emotions. Steve Brown one time had spoken at a college and afterwards, you know, people line up to speak to the speaker and a, a girl came and stood in front of him. He, he knew her because he was friends with her mother who was a godly spiritual giant of a woman who had died two weeks earlier. And he said, Sarah, how you doing? You've just lost your mother. She smiled. And said, we know how much mama loved Jesus and she's in heaven. Nobody in the family has shed a tear because we know she's in heaven. And Steve Brown looked at her and said, Sarah, if somebody could lose as wonderful a mother as you had and not cry, you're a fruitcake. <laughs> and it was like she got permission. It just came out. The dam broke. And she sobbed and held on to him because she had permission. We are made to be emotional people.
So there's a legitimate use of emotions in the Christian life. Second lesson I have for you today, my second mini-sermon is this. We can learn lessons about the postures of prayer from this. In chapter 20, verse 36, you see that he knelt and prayed, and you find Paul kneeling. Now, I I found it interesting to go through and observe the different postures in prayer, and kneeling was not the most common posture in prayer in the Bible. Can I give you the most common posture of prayer among the Jews? And then, and just reading the Bible from the Old and New Testament, the most common posture in prayer in that day and time was to stand when you prayed. In fact, I'll show you. I've got many verses I can use. I'm doing one per point. Mark 11, 25, Jesus is teaching on prayer. He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. So the, the, what they would do when they prayed, they would stand. They wouldn't kneel. They would stand and pray. But not only that, the way what a Jew would do is they stood, they would open their eyes and look up to heaven as they prayed. And let me show you that from Jesus. John 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things and looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Now, why is it that Jews would stand and look up to heaven? Because they lived in a world full of paganism that believed there were many gods and you had to appease all of them. There were gods above and gods below. If you go to the town of Caesarea Philippi on a Holy Land trip, there's this huge cave. If if you threw something down, you wouldn't be able to hear whatever you threw hit. It's so deep. And they put a temple to the god Pan in front of that Because Pan was one of the gods below. And so you had to appease the gods below and appease the gods above. And the Jews said, we're having none of that. There's only one God. He's the God above. And when we pray, we want to make it clear to everybody there's one God. He's the God above and we're looking at him. Our eyes are looking up toward him. But the other thing that we find is the most common posture of prayer that we find in the Old and New Testament is praying with their eyes up toward heaven, standing, and their hands held up. And and let me see if I can just put this microphone down and picture what's being expressed in that kind of prayer. Watch this. Those of you who've had toddlers, does that remind you of something? Your little children coming up, Daddy, pick me up. I need you. I need to be held. And so when we're in that place in our lives where there's some great burden upon our heart and we're going into the Father's presence, we lift our eyes. Father, Father, I need you now. Would you wrap me up in your arms? And so that was the most common way to pray in that particular day and time. But there are other postures in prayer in the Bible. David, in 2 Samuel 7, 18, it says, King David went in and sat in the Lord's presence. Now, that's the way I usually do my prayer time in the morning. I love getting up early. I was up at 3 this morning. In my living room, there's an easy chair. It's got a lamp right by it so I can see my Bible. So I I love this. Everything about it is just set up right. And so I get there, open up my Bible. There's nothing going on outside. And I sit there in the presence of God, just have wonderful fellowship. And that tends to be my favorite posture in prayer. What is symbolized by sitting in the presence of God, David, what do we know about David? David was a great friend of God. I think some of our greatest experiences are when we have people that we know and love come over and you just sit around at the table and talk to them or you sit in the living room and you have fellowship. It's a picture of fellowship. So I'm sitting here in the presence of God. Here I am, God, I'm with you again. 
We're sitting together this morning. And so when you're in that, have that time where you have that desire to just be in fellowship with God, you can sit in his presence. I had someone after one of the services this morning come up and said, I felt so guilty because I sit and pray and I've wondered, shouldn't I show more reverence and be kneeling in prayer? Well, if I were to kneel in prayer, I'd be there several hours later. <laughs> Until Karen woke up and could get me back up again. <laughs> Uh, there's nothing wrong with sitting and enjoying fellowship. But then there are even times in the Bible where somebody lay down before God, prostrate before God. John, who was good friends with Jesus, when he saw him glorified in the book of Revelation, look, look at the next verse, guys. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Overwhelmed in the presence of God, I can do nothing but throw myself down before him because I'm in I'm in the presence of the King of Kings, showing such ex uh, extraordinary reverence before God. But then you have passages like this where they're kneeling before God. What is being represented by the kneeling before God? When you kneel before God, that is your way of saying to him, I'm yielding to you. You're in charge and I'm not. You kneel before a king. Look, look what in Romans 11 verse 4 when they're talking about Elijah and how he said, I'm the only one left. What is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who've not bowed the knee to Baal. In other words, the rest of the nation has bowed their knees and given their allegiance to Baal. But I've got 7,000 people who are still bowing before me. They've yielded to me. They haven't yielded to Baal. And when you kneel, you're in that place where you say, I'm struggling with this. I don't necessarily want to do this, but I know this is what God wants. I'll bend my knee. Not my will, but thine be done. And you show that. Hudson Taylor went to China in the late 1800s. He described in his own words what it was like when he went off the first time. He said, my beloved, now sainted mother, had come over to Liverpool to see me off. Never shall I forget that day, nor how she went with me into the cabin that was to be my home for nearly six long months. With a mother's loving hand, she smoothed the little bed. She sat by my side and joined me in the last hymn we would sing together before parting. And we knelt down and she prayed the last mother's prayer I was to hear before leaving for China. The notice was given that we must separate and we had to say goodbye, never expecting to meet on earth again. For my sake, she restrained her feelings as much as possible. We parted and she went ashore, giving me her blessing. I stood alone on the deck and she followed the ship as we moved toward the gates. And as we passed through the gates and the separation really commenced, never shall I forget the cry of anguish wrung from that mother's heart. It went through me like a knife. I never knew so fully until then what God so loved the world meant. So here are two saying goodbye, probably never seeing each other, but knowing this is the will of God, so they kneel. They're bending the knee. So here's my lesson on sermon number two. What posture should you use in prayer? You ought to use the posture in prayer that fits the emotions that you're in when you're praying. You, you, you don't be in a tight box and say, I've got to do it this one particular way. I, I left out one and that was the public and the tax collector on the corner who wouldn't even look up because of his sense of sin. You know, what's interesting to me is now what we've done is we've codified that. We're going to pray. Will you close your eyes and bow your heads? And it's, that's really about the only time we see that. 
But it was his sense of sin that made him do that. There's times when my sense of sin overwhelms me and I just bow my head before God. There's times when, oh, Father, I need you. There's times when I'm struggling with something. I've got to settle it on money. Let the emotions that you're in in that particular prayer time dictate the posture of prayer that you need to use. And my last little sermon is this. We can learn here a lesson about grief. A lesson about grief. Look at chapter 20, verse 38. Grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. Now we know as Christians that we're going to live forever. So if you've lost a loved one who knew Jesus, you didn't lose them. They're in heaven. We know as Christians that if you've walked away from a graveside from that spouse or that child, whoever it might be, it hurts. But you know, I'm going to see them again because we're Christians. And Christians meet again at his feet. But that doesn't make it easy, does it? I'm looking out over a room full of people and I've done so many of the funerals of your spouses in this room. And my heart aches with what I've seen you have to go through. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough. And I think what hurts is the separation. They grieve because I won't see his face here again. And that caused the grief. Well, what insights can we get from what Paul did? First thing I'd like to say is this. Here they were. They knew this would be the last time they see each other. They just let it go. (laughs) They cried. They kissed. They knelt. They hugged. There's a sense that we need to give permission to people when they're going through grief. Go ahead and go through it. Don't hold it in. Let the tears flow. I I feel like when, when you find tears at a funeral... If you're a Christian, those tears are basically Thanksgiving prayers. Every one of them being shed because you were so blessed. Every one of them are being shed because you love them so much. That means God blessed you in having them. And so that's, it's normal. Don't hold them in. Let the grief go out. I, we had at the 830 service a, a woman in our church who uh, lost her husband. And I came up to her and said, let me talk to you about that point. And she said, I'm a few weeks away from the one-year anniversary And she said, you know what? This first year, I knew it was going to be hard. I said, every birthday of anybody in our family, every event, it's just caused the pain to come back up again, the the fact of separation to come there. And two weeks ago, her, her daughter was married and somebody else had to walk her daughter down the aisle. And she said, but you know what? I knew I'd have to go through this, but I also know that I've got to go on. And that brings me to my second point. Let the emotions out. But the second point is this, once you've let them, do not stay in grief all your life. Don't let that paralyze you. You've got to eventually go on. Look at verse chapter 21, verse 1. After we tore ourselves away from them, we set sail. Uh, the NIV and CSB translate this, tore ourselves away. I, I checked the Greek out. It means to pull a sword out of a sheath. The rest of the translation say after we departed, but it's more than just turn around and I'm gone. This involved a painful separation. They literally tore themselves apart from each other and took off because that was what God's plan was. That was God's will. And they had to go on. They put God first. And I think what happens in grief is we have to come to the point where we sit here and say, you know, This has hurt so much, but there's still life for me to live and still service for me to do in the presence of God. 
And I love on occasions to use a member of our church, and I asked his permission to do this. I think an example of someone who's going through this grief, he hasn't actually lost his wife yet. He's been losing her for years to Alzheimer's. Uh, he cared for her for a long time and brought people into care. Then finally, she was beyond what he could take care of, but she's now gone into an institution, still visits her. But she no longer even knows his name or recognizes him. His name is Dick Dodge. And Dick will be singing next Sunday in the choir. He's back in the choir because he can now do that. And if you come to the Wednesday night meal, that little place there where you put your dirty dishes, you look in there, you'll see Dick. He'll be cleaning the dishes. And last month when Dave went on a mission trip, he got on the plane with him and went on a mission trip. And it doesn't mean it's not hard. In fact, he told me when I was talking to him about this, he said the hardest thing for him is when he comes home at night and the house is empty. But he has decided that life is not over and he's going to serve the Lord. And I think that's one of the things we have to do. Let your grief out, but go on and serve God. Well, you got three messages this morning. I hope one of them worked for you. Maybe you needed to be allowed to let your emotions go. Maybe you needed to be given permission to not be so rigid in your prayer life, but let your emotions even be expressed in your prayer life. And maybe you just need to have somebody who says, it's okay to grieve, but it's okay to go on to. Why don't we pray about that now? Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will take every person in this room and wrap them in your arms, Father. Be real and near to them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.